Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. Let's talk about House of the Dragon, shall we? Yeah, I guess we can talk about that. Of course, Game of Thrones dropped their new series, at least the first episode. You guys might be wondering why this wasn't on the episode last week. It's because we record on Sundays and Mondays, and it hadn't dropped yet when I recorded with Carl. But furthermore, Carl is the last person I want to talk about Game of Thrones with. (laughs) Because either he's going to pick up his phone and look at it, as he did when I reviewed Bodies, 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 literally talking about people who aren't paying attention with their cell phones. (laughs) and how it's corrosive to interactions and carl did that the entire time (laughs) i was talking i think he piped up a defense of himself super fast but then went straight to whatever he was reading on the phone that reaction would have been worse because he would have just been trolling the entire time despite the fact that he might like it but he would never admit it because it's got a doctor who in it matt smith so of course for morbius fame and uh this is better than morbius i think i think that's safe to say it's cleared the morbius bar I couldn't actually tell you whether or not it's better or worse than Morbius. (laughs) Trust me, it's better. (laughs) It's a lot better. (laughs) All right, let's just start general reactions. Did you like this pilot? It seemed a little dry, but I wasn't in in the right headspace when I watched it. Were you just rushing to watch it for the podcast? Kind of, yeah. So I took the uh, family on an adventure like out in the wilderness, and we got back to town at like 10, 10, 15 at night i had a whole bunch of stuff going on today i'm like okay i gotta watch it last night and then i'm like super tired yeah never fun to watch it when you have to watch it i was not in a rush i watched it after i recorded with carl like maybe an hour later i just started editing and then i noticed the time and i was like i wonder if that's dropped because i knew that would make amanda happy she was completely unaware that a spinoff was being made because i never told her or showed her any trailers or anything like she gets kind of annoyed when i show her trailers so i I've like tried to limit it to just Marvel things now. So I don't show her this stuff. So she had no fucking idea that it was even a show. And then I was like, oh yeah, yeah, they're doing a spinoff show. So that was like a week ago. So I was like, do you want to watch Game of Thrones tonight? She was like, the new one? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, absolutely. So we sat down both excited. I really enjoyed it. I do think it was a bit dry, but only because there's a lot of exposition to set up the entire world. And I would say that if you watch the original, original pilot it's also that way there is a lot of exposition in that and i think when you go back to watch it knowing who the characters are it's very pleasurable because you immediately understand who they are and why they're doing certain things but that's with 2020 hindsight right right uh this one they literally go into like a history of the realms kind of thing at the beginning because it's 173 years before daenerys is born i think they say like they literally do the thing where it says the time before the time of Daenerys Targaryen and all that and then it drops out and it says 173 years before and then like on the lower right it's like Daenerys yeah they basically like redacted everything except for like 172 years before Daenerys turned yeah so they're letting you know like everything that happens in there I think this is going to generally push where the show winds up but I like 
that it's so far because we don't have a bunch of immortal characters or anything like that. You know what I mean? And a lot of the things that they're talking about are things that passed before Game of Thrones set up. Like there's stuff that we get the exposition for very early in the show. Or it's things that we know straight up won't happen. For example, this new king that we're watching, he's worried about the White Walkers. And like we know not going to be a fucking issue in your lifetime. But it's or your grandkids lifetime. Like, yeah, but it's good that he's fucking thinking about it. It's kind of amazing that like you follow enough generations and they're just like, yeah, whatever. I remember somebody talking about the White Walkers and saying that it was a metaphor for climate change. Like it was one of those things that like people kept pushing off and saying like, ah, we don't need to worry about it. Like it's a myth or whatever. And then some people will be like, well, it's, I'm not going to have to worry about it. And then when it finally starts to bite you in the ass, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa we got to do something about this, but it might be too late, you know? Yeah. And in that regard, the metaphor still tracks because it is a guy who's very concerned about it, but like, it's not something he has to deal with right now. So they're just kicking it down the road a little bit, <laughs> but we get a few little connections. Like when he was talking about ice and fire, you know, they played the song from the original Game of Thrones, which I kind of enjoyed. One thing I will say right off that I don't like that they did, but maybe this is just for the pilot. It, but I suspect this is what they're going to do is they show the Targaryen logo at the beginning and then you're just right into the show. I like the map. I know it was all within King's Landing and maybe this show is largely going to be in King's Landing, but man, I like the map. It was maybe the best intro ever yeah. for a show. What I liked about the original Game of Thrones intro was you get the map, but you also like, here's what you have to think about, like going into this episode. It's like, okay, we're going to be talking about the what's going on King's Landing, what's going to be happening at Winterfell, what's going to be happening in Dorne or you know, so they got three different storylines or that they're going to be focused on in this episode. Yeah. And the map changes from episode to episode, which I can't think of very many intros that do that. Other than The Simpsons. But that doesn't have anything I to mean, do with the episode. Yeah. It's just two stationary things that happen every time. Right. Like Bart with the chalkboard and wait, is it just the chalkboard? The couch gag. The couch gag. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, it has nothing to do with the show. But this was actually it was very evocative of reading high fantasy novels you know where whenever you open it up the first thing you see is a map yeah and so i like that i would say if they're not going to do that it's not like a deal breaker for me at all but like i don't know maybe think about bringing the map back <laughs> even if it's king landing dude just like look at a map of king landings and like do the magnifying glass into the brothel that they spend time <laughs> in and like you know what i mean or you could do like a castle and go into like an unfolding castle and just like spend time in the bed chamber yeah <laughs> oh he's going on a balcony for this one okay maybe that's a lame idea but i like it <laughs> regardless i do like that they set it up i understand where they're at in the world you know like it's very clear that targaryens are at their peak and i think they say at some point that the only thing that can bring down the targaryens is the targaryens which is kind of cool because you know that this is setting it up for a civil war right like they yeah. give you the seeds right there i knew that already because i've read the premise of the show and the premise of the show is exactly what happens at the end of this episode which is there's going to be a division between the brother of the king and the daughter of the king for who is going to rule Westeros. And so they set it up really nice, I thought. And we didn't really get to spend a ton of time with the daughter, but it's interesting because I'm watching her and I'm just like, man, they found somebody who really, really looks like 
Daenerys, you know? Like, I thought they did kind of a good job of making her look like that lineage. But, like, Matt Smith, who a lot of people ripped apart for not looking like a Targaryen. Man, when he's got that wig on, he looks like a Targaryen. I don't know. I think you just have to have black eyebrows and then, like, have that weird platinum blonde hair. That's all that makes a Targaryen. Yeah, that seems to be what makes it work. Yeah, the I mean, they even got the one guy who was in the uh the king's like council. He looked like uh the comic version of the the guy from the Walking Dead with the had the pet tiger. Uh it's a biblical name, right? Ezekiel or yeah, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Yeah, he did kind of look like him for sure. I wonder if those are real dreads or if he's just wearing a wig. I didn't look very closely. It's probably a wig, right? I would think so, just to because like how consistent is I know like myself, like looking at my beard, it's mostly getting like half white and half gray. So to have somebody with like a lifetime of dreadlocks that long, there would be a lot of color variation, I would think. Fair. That makes sense. Um, So I think that the major push-pull in this is that the queen's having a baby and the king is sure that it's going to be a male. And for him, this is an answer to his problems because his brother is not really trustworthy, right? Doesn't really seem interested in the business of ruling, like doesn't want to be master of coin or any of those things. They put him on city watch just to kind of shunt him off to the side so that they wouldn't have to worry about it and keep him busy. So he doesn't seem like an appropriate person to take over. And he just never considers his daughter for the role at all because this is a patriarchal society. So his wife is having the baby and she's had a few miscarriages. And then it turns out it's a breech baby. And at a certain point, the guy leans down to the king and says that you're going to have to make a hard decision. It's either you kill the mother to perhaps save the baby or you lose them both. And so, of course, he chooses to save the baby. And that was one of those moments I was watching it with Amanda. I was like, I wonder if there was truly an option to save the mother that wouldn't necessarily kill the baby, but they didn't even say it because it's just understood that the heir is more important. Did you kind of feel that at all while you're watching it, or is that just me? I really didn't get the feeling that that was really an option because it was, if they had known it was going to be a problem, I think they could have done it maybe they've been able to like remove the baby and have the mother live but i don't think it was ever really an option when they knew it was going to be a dire situation it was too late to save the mother at that point right like either way i just thought that maybe there was an unspoken thing we're not even going to look at option c because like obviously the air is the most important i thought maybe there's that air of it but it doesn't seem like anybody else necessarily picked that up so maybe that was just me he chooses to save the son and then the mother of course dies because they basically kill her uh, in her bed and then he has to live with that decision because the son is born and then dies very quickly afterwards And so very sad. And you can tell this particular king seems like he actually cared about his wife, just distraught by the whole thing. Whereas like in previous Game of Thrones things, you look at some marriages and you're like, they wouldn't mind if the husband died at all or wife died. When we see the king and queen at the beginning of Game of Thrones, when the king dies, doesn't seem like Cersei's too broken up about it, does (laughs) it? No, and even in this episode, like if you just took the House of Dragons standalone, there were other characters calling out other people that they didn't care whether or not their wife 
would die or live or was a guy that got called out. And yeah, a lot of visiting the brothels and so forth. It seems like this king actually has a good heart, at least so far. We'll see as we go into it. It's hard to like make this connection because like every ounce of my being is like this king is not going to make it very far. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is about (laughs) these two would be rulers. And so it feels to me like the king is an extra appendage in the show. And I think he's just there to set it up and we'll be losing the king soon i'm pretty sure like at least by the end of season one if not way quicker but i don't know it might just be because i'm bringing whatever from other game of thrones into it like it could be that the kings are there for a couple of seasons then you have it at a very inopportune time happen but that doesn't feel right does it i can see him having a ned stark length on the show like eight episodes or something yeah you actually get him and he's trying to set up something for his family where his daughter's going to take over but at the same time you'll have all of that time like while the king's still alive where there's going to be push and pull back and forth between those two characters before they have to really make and step into their new roles. Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you a theory. Let's just call it out now, because I I think we're both assuming Kane's going to bite it before season one, right? Yeah, that would be my bet. Okay, so who takes over as ruler when that happens? What's your theory on this? I am saying that the daughter is going to take over, but I think that that is going to be such a controversy that (coughs) I think that's what's going to be set up in the next few episodes is like that there's really a division of people that like you can't have a a woman be in charge of. I feel like they've already. Well, I mean, they've already that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense to the core of my being. I think that she'd be the one to take over initially, which is why I think it's going to be the brother because <laughs> if there's one thing that game of thrones has taught me it's that like whatever you're expecting is going to be subverted it to me it makes more sense if she winds up on the outside and then she's supposed to be the rightful heir and then the division is there like it makes more sense to me if you have somebody bad attached to the crown and to be fair this guy is not all bad like they managed to show him being a caring person and somebody who actually loves his family and the way he put the necklace around his niece little too caring in that way that targaryens do you know what i mean Targaryens and a couple Lannisters. I kind of think he'll take it over because it, it puts more drive into the series where you're rooting for her. And then I'm betting that there'll be other people outside of it who want to vie for that position as well. Yeah. Who are going to try and like knock the Targaryens off the throne. Well, we know for a fact it, that the Targaryen rule will not be interrupted, but that doesn't mean you won't get intrigue that plays out, right? Right. The other thing is, you know, when they had the tournament, there were 14 people vying to take over. You know, there's a lot of outside people that are could yeah. be in particular. There's two that we're supposed to focus on, right? So there's the two that we're focused on: the brother and the daughter, right? But I mean, but like, there was out of, like out of the tournament, it's the brother, and then it's the other guy who uh, asked for the blessing or whatever. Uh, the favor the princess yeah the favor of the princess that guy feels like he's gonna be a, a player right yeah yeah so you know there's gonna be a lot of people that are not necessarily looking to be the next ruler of the Iron throne but definitely pushing one way or another to get influence for whatever reason you said iron throne so that reminded me so they changed the iron throne in this apparently in the books 
George R. R. Martin said that throne consisted of like a thousand swords and was this very dangerous looking thing. And he was never satisfied with the throne that they did for the series. And so George R. R. Martin was working on this with them. Like he actually is in the writer's room with them. I don't think he's writing any scripts per se, but he's like working with them crafting the show on this. He really wanted that done up like it was in the books. And so they did it. And I gotta say, man, cause I didn't give a fuck when I used to hear that before, but seeing it that's a fucking gnarly throne dude that that looks like you have to be psychotic to want to sit on it you know and not only that but like the way that they light it so that it's this dark looming thing and then you have all of these swords that are sticking out of the ground leading up to it fucking cool dude that shit (laughs) is so badass and i love that they use it for a metaphor right away because the king finds out that after his son and wife died we see the brother in a brothel and somebody's bringing it up and before he responds to it they cut away and then you hear what all the advisors who don't like the brother i think his name is damon right yeah so the ones who don't like damon are saying that he was talking about how it was what was it like the the king for an hour or something like that the heir for an hour and he comes up to the king and the king is calling him the task and wants to know if he said that and he admits to it and of course the king is just fucking pissed and he's letting him know like hey i was supposed to be the heir and you've completely ignored me on this like this was decided before you took over which of course when a king takes over all bets are off because like how much are they gonna honor the previous king once they're established as a ruler right right that's just how that shit happens it even happens in america with our presidents like you get a president in the first shit that they do is sign like 30 executive orders to undo something that the previous president had we see that in all rulings and so to think that he was gonna hold to that was never ever gonna fucking happen you know especially when it's your own family because you're not worried about factions as much per se although i think that's a thing that's about to happen because his brother runs the city watch anyway so he's like chewing him out about this and then basically tells the brother that like the daughter is gonna be the heir and he's pissed off he leaves and then the king like cuts his hand on his own throne nice fucking metaphor because like you're using your position to like rule over your brother and it's gonna fucking cut you you know what i mean yeah like wearing that king hat it's kind of a curse too you know and i do like that this king doesn't seem interested in being king like he is king but he also realizes the pitfalls of being king. Like he is what we think of as being a responsible ruler, which is like heavy the head that wears the crown, right? Yeah. They didn't have a lot of scenes where they're on the Iron Throne. There's like two scenes. Yeah, two. The real decisions are made in the council. Just like they were before. Yeah. The king is very active in that council. Yes. That's what I was going to say too. That's the difference. This king gives a shit. None of the other kings before gave a shit. You know what you, I mean? You didn't see Robert Baratheon hanging out in the Nope. He was fucking drinking and hunting and fucking. That's all he was doing. Yeah. And then what, Joffrey? They wouldn't fucking let him near that fucking room. Yeah. Because he wasn't the one with the power, really. He wasn't the one making the decisions. And then when his brother takes over, they're not fucking letting him in that room either. Yeah. Be- and so he winds up taking counsel with the church and fucking undoing everything for a bit there, right? But but like he's not interested in it either. And wow, we went through a lot of turbulence in that show, dude. <laughs> because then Cersei's in charge, but Cersei has no fucking interest in being in that room either. It's almost like that room has dissolved because she's doing everything from her throne at that point. Yeah. So interesting, man. 
it's really interesting that like this king gives a shit which tells me he's absolutely gonna <laughs> go and that also reinforces that like Damon is gonna be the one to take over because you need the king who doesn't fucking bother going into the room you know what I mean <laughs> yeah he has a seat at that table and he doesn't bother showing up to that table sounds like a king to me in Game of Thrones <laughs> this guy is the outlier not his brother <laughs> no he does feel like an example of how a king should rule for the most part you can definitely pick away at certain things but we haven't seen a good example of a ruler in game of thrones and like the idea that fucking bran is the fucking (laughs) king after that like i hadn't seen that play out but jesus christ dude what a fucking nightmare just a fucking weirdo like staring at like snowy trees the whole time the dragons were kind of meh And I'm glad that they aren't driving the show. That's what I was worried about. I was worried that they would do way too much with dragons. Here is what I feel about the dragons. They were used excessively well in this episode in that you see a Targaryen ride them. Not a big deal. You see the handlers deal with them. Not a big deal. They're handling it really well because they're used to it. So right away we're establishing this is just a part of the world. But what happens when they're flying around in the air over the city? People just don't even care. It's like an airplane going overhead. Yeah. Like our town, we have a couple airports. We see airplanes going overhead. Not a big deal, dude. Like it takes something spectacular to make us look up. And that's telling me that the dragons are here, but they're just a part of the life. It's not like the other show where it was like, wow, a dragon. Because nobody had ever seen a dragon in their entire life, you know? Yeah. And so even the people who are with the dragons are still, they get that sense of exaltation because like they went an entire life without seeing a dragon and then suddenly they're hanging out with dragons, you know? That's not the case here. The dragons are just a thing, but they are the fucking engine of that family. They're basically the source of power for the, they're the weapon that they can wield. Yeah. And the king said it was basically a trick. It's an illusion, right? Like they're no more powerful than any other family, but because they have the dragons, people think they're really powerful. And that tells me that it's not that there's this mystical bond to the Targaryens. It's just like, you have to be around that egg when it hatches. I think that's what it is. It's not Daenerys with the egg and it's somebody else. The dragon probably hatches the same. Maybe the dragon gives them, them. Yeah. And then maybe gives them power to be able to walk through fire or something. Maybe that's why Daenerys was able to do that, you know? Like, dragons have to be magical, even in this world. So that tells me maybe they can imbue them with magic or something. Because, like, that is the one thing that doesn't quite square with Daenerys as she's walking through fire. But if they imprint on them and give them that ability, then that works. And magic is a thing in Game of Thrones, so it's not out of the question, right? That's just my theory I literally came up with now. What do you think? Is it ready for, like, a 28 Easter eggs in Game of Thrones you might have missed video? <laughs> It might be a crackpot theory. I'll keep working on it. Well, let's move on. So I did watch the movie Bullet Train, which was pretty fun. It's not a great movie. I kind of put it with Free Guy in this sense of like, if you like a movie with like a lot of hitmen doing like ridiculous martial arts shit and, you know, like a lot of gunplay and stuff like that and quippy one-liners, then you're going to enjoy it. Is it like a great example of the genre? No. No, it's not. (laughs) But it's an entertaining afternoon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Brad Pitt is the main character in this. He is a hitman who 
has gone very into his therapy and doesn't want to kill anybody. And he is a walking dad joke the entire movie. Brad Pitt's at the center, but like he's not really the main character. It's truly an ensemble between five or six characters. But every time you see him, he's making some kind of therapy joke. I mean, like, He's not saying it as a joke, but it's meant for the audience to laugh. It's weird, dude. It's weird that he's a walking dad joke in this movie because you start to realize like, oh, yeah, Brad Pitt's getting up there in age. Like, (laughs) He's basically my dad's age. He's not far from it. It's weird because we think of him as an exer, but he's not. He's technically a boomer. How weird is that? I thought he was younger than that. I did, too. And then we were playing this blockbuster game that I have. Apparently, he's right on the cusp of boomer. How fucking weird, right? We have these other two hitmen that are from England. They're brothers. They're white and black. So I guess they're adopted. They don't really explain it. But one of them is obsessed with Thomas the Train, and he's a grown fucking man. For a little bit there, I was like, oh, maybe he's got autism. Because I've heard like people that are autistic tend to be obsessed with trains. No, he's just obsessed with Thomas the Train, dude. (laughs) And it's kind of funny at first. And then you're like, shut the fuck up about Thomas the Train. Because it's not like it comes up every 10th line with him. It's like every other line with him. Every time he's talking, it's train, 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 Thomas the Train. It's like, shut the fuck up, dude. But basically, there's a briefcase. It's a MacGuffin. It doesn't fucking matter. It is truly a MacGuffin in this movie in many ways. We have a series of cameos, one more spectacular than the next. If you're going to watch this movie, you do want them revealed. But each one is just like more and more like, what the fuck? And then you get to the final cameo, which I don't even want to spoil, but it's kind of amazing, dude. They do a really good job of stacking that in this movie. And the action is really good. It's just like the story is kind of eh. The characters are kind of eh. Like they're there to have fun, but like it's not overly clever. I'll put it that way you know like you've seen this movie before in various forms just maybe not yeah, i'm talk- thinking like gross point blank and dude in a lot of ways yeah and brad pitt not wanting to kill people is not the engine for this movie at all just to be clear okay it's just his quirk all the hitmen around this bullet train they all have a fucking quirk Every goddamn last one of them, dude. One. Yes, one Your one character trait. (laughs) Yep, your one character trait. That's right. They all have one. So that's basically the kind of movie you're in for. There is one scene that I really like, and I think it might have been in the trailer, but just to give you a flavor of what this movie is, Brad Pitt is kicking the shit out of this other guy. They're going back and forth. They're trying to kill each other. And then they have to stop because this woman comes in and she's got like a beverage cart. And so they just kind of pretend like they're not fighting. Brad Pitt asks for a water. So she gives him like this really nice, like tall glass of water. And uh, he's like, I don't have any money. He's going to pay. And then he just like looks at him like all pissed off and like pays for the water. (laughs) And then they're they're just sitting there like really calm and they take a breath and they start to talk for a second, sort of find common ground. And then she walks out of the room and he's like, okay, so are we done with this? And he's like, hell no. And so Brad Pitt just immediately like kind of rolls his eyes and then takes a glass bottle, fucking throws it and smacks him in the head. And then the fight's right back on. It's great, dude. (laughs) Yes. At some point, somebody's crawling on the side of the bullet train. Cause you know, that's going to happen. It always happens in a train, but it's super fucking ridiculous at the bullet train. Cause it's going so goddamn fast. It's already unrealistic. You're going to hold on to a train that way anyway, but a bullet train, dude, Yeah, you'd have to be a superhero. That's basically what this movie is. It's like, it's super, 
super ridiculous. You're not going to learn anything. You're probably not going to watch it again, but it's a fun way to waste an afternoon. All right, we got Carl here. Hey. So should we talk about Little Demons first? Sure, yeah. This is a show made by Dan Harmon. It's on Hulu right now. It is the story about a mother who is about to give birth to the Antichrist and instead of killing it, realizes that it's a girl. And so she keeps it. That is literally all played out in about 10 seconds. And then we're just right into the premise where she's 13, gets her first period, and then immediately opens a portal to hell, essentially. (laughs) Yeah, her powers manifest as the Antichrist. Yeah. And uh, there's two bullies picking on a kid who are like right out of a Stephen King story. Like they got like leather jackets and one of them's putting a knife up to a kid's nostril. And it's this kid that she likes. She horribly mutates them and explodes them and has limbs flying off and everything it's yeah it's pretty graphic it's like i'd say it's as graphic as rick and morty she goes back to her mom and her mom is trying to like flee with her because she knows that that means that satan is going to have a beat on where she's at and then basically three cenobites come out to take her because she's pissed at her mom and so she just marches along with them because she wants to meet her dad (laughs) yeah yeah she's she just goes with them to confront her dad and uh he's the devil and he tries to pull some devil shit on her and she's like too smart for that but she also still wants to get to know her dad and then meanwhile the mom aubrey plaza is the voice she's yeah. great and danny devito is the devil yeah uh, basically but- she gets pulled into hell and then immediately the mother has i don't know a maid or something i haven't quite it's like figured her out. next door neighbor okay. i think it's just like a, a bored housewife who hangs out at home so she basically makes this giant circle with a pentagram in it with she candles in it. Yeah, does a ritual, sacrifices a goat or something. I don't even remember what it is. Chicken. And sh- shoves no, things. That's a different ritual. She shoves <laughs> things into her orifices. And she's uh, not going to take any clothes with her. She strips totally naked. By the way, this show has full nudity for an yeah. animated show, but it's not like. It's not sexy. It's not sexual in any way. Like yeah. she is putting stuff in her orifices so that she can take them with her to the underworld because they're like weapons that she's going to use to fight demons. She's and, got a whole plan. Her body's covered with tattoos. She's fucking ripped. Dude, her like crazy tattoos too. Like somebody who's been in a cult style tattoos like yeah. all over. Uh, you ever seen um, The Frighteners? Peter Jackson's The Frighteners? <laughs> not in a long, long time. There's this really weird FBI guy and he was investigating all these cults and then he pulls off his shirt at one point and he has all these scars and like tattoos everywhere and calls it his roadmap of pain. That's exactly Exactly what she looks like is like that dude. Like she's been in all the cults and had to get all of the the cult insignias at one point or another to learn all their secrets. Yes. And you know, like that is very much how I imagined the character of John Constantine in a certain way, like just kind of this traveling rogue, a accumulating magical knowledge wherever he can, however he can, because he just may need that knowledge to use it against the demons that he is pulling cons on. Right. And now Laura is a character that made horrible mistakes as a teenager, met the devil, fucked him, got pregnant, immediately decided I'm going to take this baby and not let it grow up to be the Antichrist and like turned around and became like a kick-ass anti- 
devil person. Um, yeah, she shows up in the hell dimension, immediately pulls some bones out of her ass, like makes, literally, and makes a David Cronenberg style like bone gun and yeah, shoots one of the things and, off it. And it's like a magic demon killing gun. God, it's so good. She pulls like a potion out of her vagina and puts it into this other evil creature that she winds up riding. It's just like she just immediately does she's all the things. Prepared. To, she's yeah. very prepared. I think she's a great character. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And then when she finally, they get to her and the and the devil they start fighting and are not paying any attention to their daughter and she just wants to be a normal kid on a certain level even though she also is the antichrist you know it's a typical 13 year old thing i'm nervous about school but also i hate everybody at school like i kind of get those vibes well, and from she her. also has never stayed at a single school for very long because right. her mom's always been moving and she wants to just for once in her life settle down and have what what all these other kids she's seen at every school she goes to they all go to the same school every day and they have groups of friends and you know they have these experiences that she doesn't get to participate in because she doesn't ever stick around long enough to form any lasting friendships with anybody and so she wants that they stop fighting long enough to realize i think she runs off or something and causes more problems yeah they have to find and they have to stop what they're doing to like get her out of the jam she's in and that winds up being part of the second episode as well where like we've established this sort of sketchy equilibrium of shared custody between Laura and the devil. <laughs> if we're being real, this is depicting a couple trying to co-parent through a divorce. Like, that's really what this right. is. Right. Like, it's, even down to if you don't quite get it at the end, they let you know with, like, the devil gets to spend time with her every other weekend. Like, yep. that's a pretty good sign right there of what they're doing. Right. And so it's it's actually kind of funny that I saw a post just this morning while I was at work and bored because there were no customers, was on the conspiracy subreddit that I like to go to because <laughs> it's full of insanity. <laughs> and it was just a picture of this show. And then the title was something like, uh, they're just doing it out in the open now. <laughs> and as though the show was about worshiping the devil or something. No, probably watch the show. I wound up just commenting like, I actually took a watch this show the, uh, or the other day. It was pretty good. <laughs> You know, I was uh, watching this and I did have the distinct thought you couldn't ever do this show 20 years ago. Like, just not possible. All the media companies would have been like, no fucking way in hell are we letting you make that. Yeah. Unless it was like a horror movie. Although it's the in the last, I'd say, 10 years, it's at least the second show that's literally about the daughter of the devil. There's another show called Lucy, the daughter of the devil that was on, on Adult Swim. One thing I like about Dan Harmon's shows is that for the most part, they portray all this sort of like Rick and Morty and this show particularly, but also I would say community to a certain extent as well. The absurdity is just accepted by the regular people in the world. You know, they acknowledge that it's there, but because there's very little that they can do about it. And as long as they're not the ones being directly impacted by it, I think that's kind of how people treat stuff in the world nowadays as well. You know, monkeypox, for example, is something that like, I can look at that and see that it's having this impact on the world, but also feel like completely insulated from it as well. Yeah, because we're not seeing it around us. Right. And also because I don't really have physical contact with people very often. So (laughs) I can, if I were to contract it, I would be shocked as to how I got it. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> you have to touch people. So I do think one of the nice things about Dan Harmon's show is what you were speaking to, which is that people in the world just accept it because it takes out that super boring second act where nobody believes what's happening and a couple of people have to see enough to where they like clue in. It's so fucking played out and boring. I just get sick of it in movies and shows. I'm following this premise. Let's just follow that premise instead of right. worrying about well, what and, everybody else thinks. And also when it's a secret invariably you have to devote a certain portion of every single episode or plot that you write. You have to devote a measure of that maintaining the secret. Then you're only getting to write two thirds of a story because you're having to like carve out time from your main story to include caveats from keeping the secret. I do kind of wonder if the Cold War had an effect on writing in that it was all about keeping these secrets and like letting people know and exposing them to secrets and how are they going to react? Are they going to keep the secret and stuff like that? (laughs) And I feel like it started to happen less after the Cold War and it just like almost completely dried up now. Thank you. Are you a regular poster in that conspiracy sub? No, no, no. I'm just talking about like things happen in the (laughs) things happen in the world and they have influences, right? And like we subconsciously put those influences in obsessed with uh we were paranoid about being spied on for a long time and internet with the internet comes paranoia about surveillance as well from our own state and corporations and whatnot but the people are telling i think the difference is that like in the 80s earlier there was this real threat that we would see on tv all the time that like all these spies would do stuff but that could equal launch codes being given or things like that like there was there there was i'm not saying that all of this other secrets are not important what i'm saying is like the stakes are different and so i think that we process them differently you know like this is like your information is out but the stakes of that are not like a nuclear missile could get launched towards us that's not no but you know what though is that apple or google or somebody gave facebook maybe it was gave cops message histories to help prosecute them for trying to get an abortion. That fucking happened. When you talk to your doctor about medical issues that you have, that's protected, right? Mm -hmm. But if you buy prenatal vitamins through Amazon, they're going to figure out that you're pregnant. Like I said, surveillance is still around. It's just the stakes are different. Well, now so they, it's they get written just, into shows differently. They don't have to spy on us anymore. We're just giving it all to them voluntarily. So That's what he was saying when he was holding that sign at January 6th. Well, you know, man, like they took over <laughs> our government. You can see it all around you right now. When I say leaders, I meant the guy at the rally. I now was he's at the putting other on a Guy Fox mask. <laughs> I kind of don't want to talk about the second episode just in that, like, I want to leave something for people because I feel like we pretty readily spoiled the first episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, establishing a premise is not like really a spoilery kind of thing. And that's the entire. I think that's why they launched with the first two episodes was here's the premise. And then here's how it plays out. Here's going to be like what you're going to get week to week with the second episode. And it. It was pretty good, I think. I enjoyed them both, uh, both episodes. I enjoyed the show. It has a, a Rick and Morty kind of feel, but that's just because Dan Harmon, is the, they all spring from his brain. It's got community feels too for me. And I can't wait for more episodes when invariably actors from community come to voice parts. <laughs> yeah. Because they've almost all been in an episode. Each one of them has been in Rick and Morty. So I'm expecting to see them here. And I kind of hope to hear some It's Always Sunny people because Dan DeVito's there and Lucy DeVito, who's his daughter in real life and looks like a 
perfect blend of him and Rhea Perlman. She that is, makes sense because that's her parents. And she's beautiful. <laughs> like she is, if you look at, and she's also like right in between the like two of them in height. Five. She's very short. <laughs> yeah. She seems great. And she does a good job on the show. Pretty solid uh, voice casting. You had me watch an episode of The Sandman. They dropped an extra one for the first season, right? Yeah, about three weeks after the series was dropped. They put this episode out. I think to keep... uh, People talking. And also to engage with a specific algorithm that Netflix uses. I've learned this just very recently. There's this 28 days... That is the time period in which they gauge a series and decide if they're going to keep it going for another season or not, right? I don't know if this is how they've always done it, but this is how they're doing it right now. What they're looking for is for how many minutes a show gets watched and if the show is getting watched to completion. So I think what they did was, I think by dropping this 11th episode towards the end of that window, they're getting people to watch that episode. And then also there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to rewatch the whole thing and then watch that episode because people are fucking crazy. That is crazy to watch people it are that crazy. quickly. Yeah. It's interesting. I noticed the conversation around it on Twitter. There were a lot of people questioning the efficacy of this algorithm because they're like, I thought the whole point of streaming is that I can watch a series in my own time at my leisure. And I think that that was the model for streaming when all it was was old shows. Mm-hmm. But it's now that the they're making original new content, they're trying to use new TV models that are old and like jam that old TV model into the model of the streaming service. And it's just like a broken system right now. And so that's one of the reasons why so many shows on Netflix that we thought were popular (laughs) are just unceremoniously dumped. The first one, Night of a Thousand Cat, is one of the most well-regarded individual stories from the comics. People love it. And I mean, you got to see why, right? Yeah. Cats are great. And that little kitten's fucking adorable. And like the whole concept is like, even though it's all told with cats, it's still a fucking very relatable story about thinking the world is one way, learning the hard way that it is not the way you thought it was and that it's actually awful. And then setting out on a journey to fix that. The idea that it's like this cycle You know, that like the cats are subservient to the humans because there was a time when humans were subservient to cats, but then one of them had a dream and the cat is learning this. No, they all had a a dream. No, no. One of them learned it in a dream and then then went forth and told them if we all have this dream, which is what the cat is telling all the other cats to do. Yes. So it's, it's it's a cycle. Yeah. It's an endless cycle of like creatures and because when you dream it, It doesn't make it that way from now on. It makes it that was the way it always was from the beginning of time to the end of time. That's why you got to shoot your hopes and dreams like Belding would say. I tweeted at Neil Gaiman. I was like, uh, I hope that everybody's pet saw this and that they're all dreaming this because I really want to wake up tomorrow and not have to go to work (laughs) and just get to be a cat's pet. And then I could shit in a box and fall asleep in a sunbeam and look adorable. That sounds horrible. (laughs) I do not. I want to be on top. I don't want to be subservient. Fair enough. Um, I, then the other story is basically a muse is locked up Amuse by this been writer. imprisoned by a writer and he is passed off to another writer who also imprisons her because he's trying to like buy her affection and to 
oh. giving him a spark. She won't do it. So then they give the the implication of it, violence, yeah, right? As it, Dennis would say. The, she is supposed to give inspiration to these men. And he's taking and it. And they are taking it with by force. I thought they might depict it. I skipped forward like 30, oh, 45 seconds. I know. Yeah. And I kind of realized that they didn't go that far. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because I knew that was coming. You yeah. didn't know. I mean, it was heavily implied. So I'm sure um, it wasn't lost on you or over your head I or anything. I figured this but, was the way it was going to go. But I was really hoping when I was watching it, what if he just like, because I didn't know how long the episode was. And the first one was so <laughs> short. I was like, what if he like struggles with it for a bit and then decides to let her go and then she gives inspiration as Wouldn't a thank that have you. been a nice story? Yeah, this but was I also realized when he was still fully trying to write horror comics. Yeah. And so, I realized like pretty yeah. quickly, when he does when he locks her in the first night like oh that's not the way this is gonna go but i found it so funny when i was watching this and i'm not i don't i really don't feel like legislating this again but it was very hilarious to me that like this episode is two stories and the first one is like meant to like really pull at your heartstring by like watching this evil that happens to this cat and you feel so bad for the cat and then the second one is a woman but like it's very very clear to me that people watching it are gonna feel more for the cat than they do for the woman. <laughs> I'm just like, Jesus Christ is right here in front of me. <laughs> like you just I, laid out a cat. Oh, I lay I felt equally for it. both of them. <laughs> The cat and the woman were equal. I, I'm actually happy to hear that because I felt as much dismay oh, for both of them. I felt awful for her. And I didn't fast forward through. I was crying when she was describing her children being thrown into the river. The cat, not the woman. Right. <laughs> um, the woman is fine at the end. Uh, and I was crying when she was describing that, like literally. And you, that's just when I'm pretty baked, the tears flow easier. It's true. But they were genuine tears. I was feeling things during that moment. It was. I felt different levels of discomfort with both of them, but I think all in all, I felt different kinds of discomfort. Yeah, there were different kinds, and I felt equally as dismayed at the end uh, in each story. But at least with. um, I I love that they were laid out here just so we could revisit that really quick. Yeah, there is one thing about the Calliope as the muse that has been abducted um, in in the story. So the second story is called Calliope. Luckily, she's not even a woman she's a goddess <laughs> well but and but she it's is very a woman. clearly an allegory and for, like, for women too, and they're though. saying like that's the excuse that they make for themselves the the writers they're like oh she's not a woman she's an anthropomorphication of an idea yeah so they keep she's saying not she was human. she was created to do this and yeah she's like and then she goes i was not. not created i was born and i have a life she had a son with dream and he was orpheus tying greek myths in why even bother writing a superhero when you can just go and this old ass mythological character he's part of it now <laughs> it's great I love it fucking I love it why not recycle these characters that's kind of what we're doing anyways we're t- yeah. Hermes is the Flash you know yeah. Poseidon is fucking Aquaman it- I've been saying that forever Um. okay so I don't think this is as topical of a conversation now but I would say like 15 years ago I used to go to parties and we drank a lot and I'd start on this rant and people would at first like be kind of laughing and then it'd be like oh yeah and I'd be like you do realize like Superman is supposed to be Moses right like Moses is sent in a blanket down the 
river like he's left and then like he's picked up by this couple and like raised he's an by him he's an yeah an and then alien. like is there to like save everybody right superman was based <laughs> yeah, off of the jewish, jewish faith yeah. yeah all these superheroes so many of them have an allegory to like the greek gods that like that is what we've done i don't think we did it intentionally uh maybe in a couple of cases that is what we do with them like i really truly don't believe that most greeks believed in the gods but i think they were great stories also, and so Jesus, i think that they famously. just they just filled everything and i think we've done that with superheroes now like right now it's just like you get to watch this tale of like often the correct way to live it or sometimes the incorrect way but like you get something out of like hearing that story too and then like we put it all over we make statues to them we like wear t-shirts around and like write books and like we have all of this stuff around like i really do think we consume this in a very very similar way to how the greeks did it with the gods but i think something got lost in translation we're like they believed all that shit i'm not sure that they did i think there was a few people that did and i think like most people were just like they're great stories like i love hearing the stories (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) jesus famously also absentee father <laughs> Which is very common with your superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. Where's Peter Parker? God's parents, just like dude. a voice coming down from the sky, basically. <laughs> God is like Bosley from Charlie's Angels, but God's Charlie because he's the voice on the intercom. Yeah, he's the one tell. Well, it's Moses is more the Charlie's Angels story because like the God talks to Moses. You know what I mean? It's it's basically no different than like Moses is the angels listening to the little radio on the desk, and God is the Charlie it coming out of the radio. I think. Yeah. That's a good place to quit, right? Like <laughs> When's Jesus coming back? What's he waiting for? Probably Power of the Rings, I'm going to guess. The 10 Rings like he has to fight the Mandarin? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Take it easy. Please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account. You can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast or you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safer Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. Zach and Matt are two veteran horror movie enthusiasts discussing their favorite and not-so-favorite horror films. Scary movie fans beware, or listen to Watch No Evil. News, reviews, and deep dives of the television series and film franchises you love. Take a tour of the popular media world with Biggs and Brandon on Not Safe for Network. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together, they explore the narrative, affective, and production politics of war cinema on The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. You can find all of these shows wherever you find your podcasts. You can find all of these shows on Redwood Sound Labs.